Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. reading from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he, off, what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Chris. Last week, we talked about Jesus uh, being the great high priest. We've talked about that already. And as you think about the role of the high priest, the high priest, like any role, has a job description and qualifications. So you've probably applied for a job at some point in your life, or you look for a job, and that comes with the job description, right? You see the job description, you're like, oh, I might want to do that job. And then then you look at, well, the qualifications, the things that they're looking for. What is it that you possess that would get you that job? Well, this text actually gives us the qualifications. But before we look at the qualifications, I think uh, theologian Philip Hughes gives a good job description for the high priest. He says, the high priest was something far more than a cultic or liturgical specialist. His office was concerned, above all, with the radical problem of human sinfulness and the need of the people for reconciliation with God. The priest was a mediator, not only representing the sinful people before God, but actually bringing them back into fellowship with God through his work on their behalf. So that's the high priest's job, a mediator. A representative representing sinful people before God at, to bring them back into fellowship with God. So in our text this morning, actually talks about the qualifications to be a high priest. So that's what a high priest does, but how is a high priest qualified to do what he does? So we're going to look at how the Old Testament high priest was qualified to do what he did, how Jesus is greater, and then how does that apply to us? So the first qualification is this. The high priest had to be human. The high priest had to be human. Look at verse 1. It says, for every high priest chosen from among men. Chosen from among men. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the high priest 
had to be human. So you're thinking, well, who else is there? Well, certainly it could have been an angel. God could have said, well, the high priests are going to be an angel. I have these created beings. They're awesome messengers. They go and they do my bidding. They do this. They could have been the high priest. Or we think, but no, they can't be the high priest because the high priest has to act on behalf of men. Look again at verse 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the high priest is a representative. When we elect someone that we call a representative, whether it's at the national level or the state level or the local level, someone who's called a representative of some kind, they're a representative because they're kind of from the place where you are. We elect someone who's from Michigan in hopes that when they go to the national level, they can represent kind of the the challenges, the needs that we have here in our state. Or maybe you have someone from your, your county here that we want to represent us at the state level. They represent us because they come from this area. They understand the challenges that we face and they can represent us. The high priest was a representative. He had to be mortal like every person to represent every person. So only a human can represent humans before God. So the Old Testament, the high priest had to be human. And Jesus also meets the requirement of being human. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh. So Jesus had to be human in the days of his flesh. The word there, flesh, it means physical body. That's what it means in the Greek. And we find that exact same word at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in John 1.14, when we learn, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus had to become flesh. He had to become like us so that he could be the great high priest. There was actually a heresy in, uh, in, in the early church called Doceticism that advocated that Jesus just appeared to be a human. Like he just kind of looked like it, but he wasn't actually a human. Now, that was a heresy because it's not true. Jesus actually became a human. He had a human will. He voluntarily limited his knowledge He had to be like us to represent us. And that makes a difference because Jesus came to be where we are to care for us. And for us, some application point there is there's power for us in being present when we do ministry. When we minister to one another, being present matters understanding what's going on. So certainly when a trial might happen, going and being present with those individuals or sitting down and getting to know them, getting to know their situation, not coming, assuming you know what they need, but coming and being in the place where they are. Certainly we want to do that in, amongst the, our faith family and our small groups and in this group, but we want to do that outside these, these walls going and being amongst people to understand where they are, understand where the challenges are, may that, that God might open a door for us to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So being amongst, being with people, 
makes a difference. So the high priest had to be human. And Jesus is greater because he left his throne to come and restore our relationship with God. So qualification number one, the high priest had to be human. Qualification number two, the high priest had to be chosen. Look again at verse one. For the high priest chosen from among men. And then jump down to verse four. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And no one takes this honor for himself. High priests were individuals that weren't doing something for their own glory. They weren't seeking their own glory. They were affirmed by others. There was a process in which they were selected. They came from a particular line, but they were called by God. And Scripture even tells us about individuals who actually weren't called by God that tried to exalt themselves. As we've been reading in our Bible reading plan in Numbers, you probably read about Korah's rebellion. In Korah's rebellion, there was an accusation of Aaron, like Aaron's doing this for himself. He shouldn't be in that role. Well, if you remember from that story, things didn't turn out for those who rebelled and tried to exalt themselves. We know that the earth opened up and swallowed them up, and you can read the details if you miss that in the Bible reading plan. And it was reported at the time of Herod. So in the, in the New Testament times, at the time of Herod, uh, there was a, a family that was not part of the line of Aaron, who was the first high priest, but yet they desired the office of high priest. It was said about them that their spirit was one of ambition and arrogance instead of humility and self-effacement. That, that's, where, that's kind of the accusation of those that weren't seeking the office for the right reasons. In fact, they were seeking the office rather than being placed by God. If you've heard of the term ordination, it looks different in different contexts where pastors or elders sometimes go through a process of affirmation or a process of ordination and they walk through it. Why are they walking through that? So that they can be affirmed that, yes, God has called them to be in this role. And, and when, when you walk through a process like that, it should be humbling. Because when one realizes it's God who places them in a place of authority, that should bring humility. Being humbled because God's put you in that place. I know walking through the process with our elders, our elders kind of all had this to one degree or another. As we walk through, talk through what an elder looks like, what, what does that mean? And they would often be like, well, you know, I, I get that. That's very humbling. But, you know, at any point in this process, I'd be glad if, if, it, didn't, if it didn't work out, if you didn't think I was good, I can step back and not be there, not, not serve in this role. Glad to serve where I'm serving now. That's why they're displaying this humility. And, and yet God affirmed that the elders of our church that, that they're called by God to do the thing that they're called to do. But they're not high priests. Let me just clarify. Our elders are not Old Testament high priests. 
just to be clear about that. But the Old Testament priests had to be called by God. And Jesus was called by God. He was appointed by God. Look at verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's a quote from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 verse 7. And that kind of speaks that Jesus was affirmed, that was prophesied about Jesus. And then in Acts uh, 13, Jesus was declared to, and it was affirmed to be the Son of God. And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God uh, at his baptism. And it was affirmed to be the Son of God at his resurrection. So, so he was appointed. And it was affirmed a number of times. But then look at verse 6. It says, and he says also in another place. I think this is a, a little bit of a side. Don't, don't you ever, you know, sometimes you're sharing scripture with someone and you're like, I can't remember where that is. It's somewhere in the Bible. And, but this is what it says. And it's really encouraging. I'm just encouraged that it seems the writer of Hebrews was there and it says in another place. So he's a normal guy. That place actually is Psalm 110 verse four. And this is what it says in Psalm 110 verse four. As it says in verse 6, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is declared, he's appointed as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So who is this Melchizedek guy? So in this verse, it's actually the first of nine times that Melchizedek is referenced in the book of Hebrews. But he first appears... In Genesis chapter 14, in the story of Abraham, it says Melchizedek, he was described as the king of Salem, which probably means Jerusalem. So he was the king of Salem and a priest of God most high. So in that account, if you were to read that account, after his victory over the eastern lords, Abraham came and offered a sacrifice to this priest king. That's what, that's what happened. So he's referenced back then. Then we don't hear about him again for another like thousand years when he comes up in Psalm 110, which is quoted here in this passage. And then after Psalm 110, Melchizedek doesn't appear again in Scripture until the book of Hebrews. And in fact, when he comes up in the in the Psalms, there's actually no description about him. We learn about him in Genesis, and then, like, if you read the Psalm, you like, you kind of read it, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a little thing about Melchizedek, and then they keep going. You're like, who's this Melchizedek guy? If I didn't have Genesis 14, I wouldn't have a clue who this guy is or why he is important. Now, we're going to learn more about him in weeks to come. But in verse 10, it says that Jesus being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was designated, appointed, chosen to be in this order. What we need to know about Melchizedek today is he, he wasn't sanctioned like a typical leader. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi following in the line of Aaron. This guy kind of seems like he comes out of nowhere. We don't know where the beginning comes. We don't know where the end of his, his priesthood goes and God set him up. 
That's the whole point that we need to know about Melchizedek from today. God set him up. And Jesus is a high priest in that line, in that way. God set him up. His, His priesthood doesn't end. But Jesus, Jesus did not elevate himself. Being appointed by God, he didn't then get a big head. His goal was always to glorify God. Remember, as we studied the book of John, Jesus just kept saying, you know, the Father's will. I'm going to do the Father's will. In Philippians 2, we know it says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And it goes on and it says, and being found in human. You know, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him that the, the, a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth. Why was Jesus exalted? Because he humbled himself. He completely humbled himself, left his rightful place in heaven and came to be like us. So may we, may we follow his example to humble ourselves. May we consider, is is our personal ministry about God's glory or is it about our glory? Are we doing things because it brings us significance or are we doing things because it brings glory to God? I think it's helpful to ask the question, am I doing this for God's glory? It's good to ask yourself, am I, am I putting myself forward? Or is, is God putting me forward to do something? Now, certainly, when you're asked the question, hey, do you have a giftedness to you know, play on the worship team or to serve in this capacity in the church? Like, don't just be like, I'm not going to say anything. They just The Lord's going to have to tell them. Like, we're not God. Like, we, we, when we ask the question, just be honest. Let, let us know. And, and that doesn't mean that you're not humble if you come and say, hey, I might have some interest in this area. But we kind of, when we come, like, here's my resume. Did you happen to know what I can do? God, I think we might need to ask the question, are we being humble? Are we doing this for our glory? Are we doing it for, for God's glory? Are we willing to step aside to have someone else take on the role that, that we are, are playing in this season? Are we willing to get help doing what we do? Or do we have to do it all the time because it brings significance for us? Am I doing this for the title? Or, or has God just kind of opened the door for me to do this to bring him glory? I can think of an individual in our church who will remain nameless because I think they'd prefer it that way because I haven't talked to them, but they, they just serve. They don't have a particular role in the sense of they don't, they don't have a title. They're not this ministry team leader or they're not leading on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, on the worship team. Or, but you know, they have a significant ministry in our church. They're involved in, in many of the Sunday morning ministries. They're involved in ministering to people in their small group. They're involved in investing in some of the young people in our church. They're absolutely called by God to do significant things for God. They're an essential part of our body. This individual doesn't need a title to do that. And each of you has been chosen by God to be used for God's glory. 
you have been chosen by God. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has redeemed you and wants to use you for his glory. So qualification number two, again, was that the high priest had to be chosen. Qualification number three, the high priest had to be in the condition of weakness. The high priest had to be in the condition of weakness. Look at verse two. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He was beset with weakness. Beset with weakness, that means like being in a state of weakness. This condition wasn't a bad thing. We can often think about weakness as being a bad thing. We don't want to be weak. We want to be strong. But this, the high priest had to be set, be, he was beset with weakness because this actually helped the high priest to be gentle in ministering to others in difficult situations. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. So the ignorant, those who don't know, those who didn't know about God, those who didn't know about his laws, those who didn't know about his ways. He can be gentle with them and understanding with them because he was beset with weakness. Or the individual who's wayward, that's the individual who knows what they should do. They know what God's called them to do. They've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or back in the Old Testament, they had come to be a part of the nation of Israel. They knew the laws of God, but they weren't following them or they were going astray or even rebelling. How did the high priest, how could the high priest relate to them? Because he was beset with weakness so he could be gentle towards them. Because the high priest knew that he was a sinner. Look at verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Remember, we talked about last week how the high priest annually would come and, and offer sacrifices for the people. But before he would come to offer sacrifices for the people, he had offered sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner. He needed to be cleansed. So he would come with, with an attitude of humility and an awareness of his need for God. And the, the prayer that's prayed by, by those kind of in the Jewish faith now from, from a, a book called the, the Mishnah kind of had this flavor. Now, this wasn't exactly what was prayed, but this kind of gives the flavor of, of the heart attitude that needed to be had by the high priest. Would have prayed something like this, Oh God, I have committed iniquity and transgressed and sinned before thee. I and my house and the children of Aaron, thy holy people. Oh God, forgive, I pray, the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed and transgressed and sinned before thee. I and my house. Such a, a clear picture of the heart attitude because there was an awareness that, that he was a sinner. And there was an awareness that the high priest, he was subject to weakness, both in his body and his intellect and his emotion, in his emotions, because he had to relate to the people. And this awareness of his sinfulness and his weakness 
gave him the ability to deal gently. Friends, the awareness of weakness makes us more effective for ministry. The awareness of weakness makes us more effective for ministry. I'm not talking about like we should focus just on sin and, and, and some undue, unhealthy focus on sin, but when we are aware of our state before God apart from Christ, it makes us more effective. There's blessings that come. Matthew 5, verses 3 to 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who have a right view about themselves are blessed. Are you aware of your weakness? Are you aware of your weakness and does it change the way that you minister to others? Does it change the way that you interact with others? Because here's a reality. If we find ourselves in a place of being harsh or judgmental or unsympathetic, those are those are likely signs we're aware of someone else's weakness and not aware of our own need for Christ. We are just as much in need of grace as those that we're ministering to, whether they don't know how to walk with Christ or whether they've gone wayward. We need Jesus just as much as they do. And awareness of our weakness produces a gentleness towards others. When I'm more aware of my weakness, I'm more gentle. I, I am. And there's, there's a call for us to deal gently. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So it's not just a rule out there, okay, just be gentle. No, we can be gentle because of an awareness. I know in my life, when I've had friends who've loved me and come to me who've been gentle, when they've come to say, hey, Jamie, I want you to consider this. I've seen this in your life. I can think of my college pastor. Unfortunately, my college pastor had to do it frequently. But he would do it gently. He did it gently, not because that was his predisposition, he did it gently because he was overwhelmingly aware of what Christ had done in his life. And he wanted to be a means of grace for me to experience the same thing. So awareness of weakness produces a gentleness towards others, whether they're ignorant or wayward. So the high priest knew he was weak. And Jesus experienced weakness. Now we know Jesus did not sin, but he experienced weakness. So weakness does not equal sinfulness, particularly in a culture where we really idolize those who are strong, those who pump iron, those who are dominant in the business, in the workplace. Jesus experienced weakness. In verse 7 again, it says, in the days of his flesh. As you're reading through 
the Gospels. As we're reading through the Gospels as a church, we, we discover a time and again of the struggles that Jesus is familiar with living in and amongst a sinful people and, and the weakness of humanity. He experienced the heartache of death as he approached Lazarus' tomb, as many of us have experienced the heartache of the loss of a loved one. He felt agony contemplating his own suffering and death by sweating drops of blood. Like we can agonize in our hearts over trouble and pain in our life. He was alone on the cross with no one coming to his aid as you may have felt alone. He was abused, tortured. He died. He was laid in a grave. He identifies with our experience because Jesus experienced weakness through suffering. Look again at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So he offered these prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. That kind of points us to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane agonizing. And we're going to revisit that yet again as we do every Good Friday in a few weeks of what Christ went through in the garden and on the cross. If you were flipped to Mark chapter 14, we see this agony that's talked about here. In Mark 14, 32 and following, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is the one who spoke and this world came into existence. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remained here and watch. What, what he was experiencing was so acute. He he expressed it as being so sorrowful, even unto death. Like, I'm so sad. I'm so grieving. I feel like I'm at the point of death because of the weight that I'm feeling. And then going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. So he's going farther and he falls on the ground because he's so overwhelmed. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He experienced human weakness to the full. But he expressed a willingness to submit to God though it meant indescribable pain and sacrifice. And because of that willingness, his, his prayers 
were, were hurt. He offered them to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Reverence is the, the posture of trust and submission. Jesus persevered in prayer at Gethsemane and elsewhere. He was heard because he was submitted fully to the Lord. He asked for the cup to be taken from him. Obviously, we know the cup wasn't taken from him because he was fully submitted to the Lord. What would it look like for us to suffer with a posture of submission to the Lord? We often want to go ask for for God to do things, and certainly he wants us to go ask for him to do things, but it could do, what's it going to look like for us to come and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? Because as he did that, he learned obedience through suffering. Although, in verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It's not that he didn't know how to obey. He was in a place where where he was called to suffer. Obedience to God the Father often comes through the call to suffer. Obedience to God often comes through the call to suffer. Oftentimes, God works most powerfully in our suffering. Oftentimes, God speaks most clearly in the midst of our suffering. Often, we encounter God most profoundly in the midst of suffering. C.S. Lewis said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Scripture and church history are filled with accounts of saints suffering both in preparation to be used by God and in the midst of being used by God. In their process of following obediently, following the call of Christ. Friends, suffering makes us more effective in the hands of God. I'm not saying go out and do something dumb so that you can suffer. But when suffering comes, at whatever level it comes for us, know it makes us effective in the hands of God. Suffering is going to make you more effective in ministering to others. Suffering is going to make us more effective at sharing the gospel. So Jesus experienced this weakness through suffering. But Jesus just didn't just experience the weakness to be an example. Jesus experienced weakness so he could become the source of our salvation. Look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's not that, so, so how was Jesus made perfect when he already was perfect? Like if you, how can you make someone perfect? This, 
Jesus didn't go from disobedience to obedience. He didn't go from imperfection to perfection. Jesus be, became like complete in his human experience. That's what it's talking about. He, like he fully went through. When he finished the race, it showed he, he did it all perfectly. And his finishing of the race perfectly made him our savior. So Christ's obedience in the face of suffering made him the source of our salvation, not just the agent of salvation, not just one who could offer a gift at the altar, one who would be the gift at the altar. So this leaves us with a question. What will be your answer on the last day when God asks, why should you enter my rest in heaven? In John 3, gospel writer says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Trust in Christ, who is human, who is chosen, who suffered weakness. He suffered in weakness, and he went to the cross for us. Our response, whether it's for the first time or we're coming to Christ because of our awareness of what he has done, our awareness of his holiness in light of our sinfulness is well articulated in the hymn, Rock of Ages, that says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I too thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. I don't claim this on my merits. You don't claim it on your merits. Paul even said in Philippians 3, he said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We trust in Christ, the one who is qualified. The job description was out there, and the earthly high priests, they could, they could fulfill it to the degree that they could fulfill it, but Jesus perfectly fulfills this because he's absolutely qualified. He's the one that was chosen. So yes, we want to be aware of our weakness and aware of our sinfulness, and that certainly helps us to be gentle with others. That certainly helps us to minister to others to be fruitful in ministry. But the awareness of our great high priest, that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son.
Lord, we've already sung today about the truths that we've studied in your word. And these truths that we've studied, they're familiar to us as a church because we love Christ and we love the gospel. And my prayer this morning, Father, is that we would not become familiar. That when we see Christ afresh in the text of Scripture, we would always be amazed that it would take us back afresh to the foot of the cross, that we'd be reminded we can't, we, we don't get any blessing apart from your hand. We're only even here today because of your activity in our life, because we have a great high priest who completely fulfilled the job description perfectly. It is finished and he has done it. And may we cherish that. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with those this morning, whether watching online or in person. Lord, if they've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that they would do that right now. That you would not let them go, that you would wrestle with them, you would afflict them until they surrender. And surrender in the way that Christ surrendered to you. That they'd experience the joy of salvation. So I ask God that you would do this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.